Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Our first reading today comes from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel be glad in its maker, let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with victory. Let the faithful exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their couches. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters and their nobles with chains of iron, to execute on them the judgment decreed. This is the glory for all his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, be, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honourable, we clothe with greater honour, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honour to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So said uh, JFK, John F. Kennedy, a former president of the United States of America, uh, rallying the citizens of the United States to love for their nation and for one another. And a really remarkable speech, actually, an address that he gave uh, as he became president of the United States, calling the whole world, actually, together with him, with America, to make the world a better place. Really very inspiring speech. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Sometimes when you hear pastors talk about church, you get pretty much the same message. Ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. Not always a very palatable message, particularly when we live in such a busy part of the world. Uh, there's family, there's work, there's school, there's trying to have some kind of social life, uni, hobbies, uh, keeping the house in order. There's not much margin in our lives. And then you add church into the mix. Um, my wife and I, Alison, have just taken our five-year-old Maggie to kindergarten orientation. She starts school next year, the first of our kids to do school. And man, sitting through orientation and hearing particularly 
the head of the Parents and Citizens Council will be like, here are all of the wonderful things that we do. You go, oh my goodness, all the things that we do together in church are being replicated in school. When are we going to fit all of these things in? Our life's about to explode. You add church into the mix of your life and all of a sudden, how are you going to fit everything in? What's this going to look like? Uh, churches often ask a lot of their members. In many ways, I don't think we're much different here at St. John's, particularly actually at this congregation here at 6pm, where many of you are involved in actually resourcing uh, four different, um, five different, actually, 10am congregations across uh, our church in kids' ministry and helping out with music in various spaces. I love that about this congregation. It's a deep encouragement to me that we're so servant-hearted towards the other congregations in our church together. Uh, It's a lot, though. It is a lot. We ask a lot of our church members. And on one level, of course, I'm completely fine with that. And yes, I know, what else would you expect the pastor to say? Uh, Interestingly, uh, data from the National Church Life Survey tells us that the single most important factor in someone getting deeply connected to a church is the sense that there are opportunities for them to use their gifts to serve, that there's a place, there's a contribution to make here. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in the course of the sermon today. But before we do that, I want to reframe a, li- reframe a little bit for you um, this whole question. Perhaps especially for those of you who are feeling a little bit tired, a bit worn out, a bit exhausted by life, who perhaps love being a part of this church but feel like you just don't really have any more to give. I want to reframe our thinking about church by holding out this invitation to you. Ask not what you can do for your church. Ask what your church can do for you. As God's new humanity, his pilot project for the world, the community of Jesus lives in his grace. We're called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to serve one another and to serve the world that God made and that God loves. But that service takes place in a community of mutual devotion. That's our topic for today, a community of mutual devotion. That service to one another means that we give grace to one another and we receive grace from one another. We exist by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we live in grace together, we do church by grace together. And the very fact that it's all by grace and not by works means that there's something that we need that we can't get for ourselves. We're recipients of grace in salvation, and so we're recipients of grace in all of life, including the life of the church. To put it another way, if you really do have the eyes of your heart opened by God to see the church as it really is, then one of the things that will happen to you and in you through the life of the church will be to see more and more just how needy you are. But it's not quite right to say simply ask what your church can do for you because what John F. Kennedy poses alternatives for American citizens, we find brought back together again in the life of the church. Do absolutely ask what your church can do for you and ask what you can do for your church. How does that dynamic work? Uh, That's what we see in one of the most profound images that the Bible uses for what the church is, the image of the body of Christ. Uh, And that's the image that we're going to dig into this evening. We're going to look at a couple of different passages where Paul uses this language to talk about what church is and how the life of the church works. It's an image at its most basic level of intense connectedness. It tells us that we are as closely connected to Jesus as we are to our own bodies that he cares for us in the same way that we care for our own bodies. And that because we're all connected to him, to Jesus, in that way, we form one body together, intimately connected to one another as well in him. What form does that connectedness take on? That's where we're going, uh, what we're going to unpack today by digging into some of those passages together, and we're going to work through uh, the three different things that you see on, on the screen there. There are three things that it will mean to be a community of mutual devotion. 
Firstly, mutual growth. Secondly, mutual dependence. And thirdly, mutual passions. Point one, mutual growth. Uh, how exactly are we, as the body of Jesus Christ, related to Jesus? Who is he to us, his body? Uh, well, the scriptures tell us that he's the head. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Uh, in this little passage from Ephesians 4, uh, what Paul's doing actually is riffing on ancient physiology, in which the idea was that the head gave life to the rest of the body. Uh, kind of like, in some ways, really, the way that uh, the brain is seen in modern physiology. The brain's the, the part of us that directs everything else, that kind of interprets all the messages our bodies receive, gets them together, tells the rest of our body what to do in response. The head is the part of the body that directs and gives shape to everything else that the body does. And Jesus, as the head, is the one who directs and gives shape to the life of his body, the church. Uh, how is it that Jesus uh, directs the life of his body? Uh, he does it, Ephesians 4 tells us, by giving gifts to his church. Ephesians 4, verse 7. But each, uh, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. A bit further down that paragraph, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Jesus builds his body, the head directs uh, the ministry, the life of the body together by giving gifts to his church. And the gifts that Christ gives are given in the form of people who have a particular com a contribution to make to his body. Uh, the focus in that passage from Ephesians 4 is on word ministries, uh, pastors, apostles, teachers. But that list isn't an exhaustive one by any means. There are plenty of other kinds of gifts that are found in other similar lists in the New Testament. But notice that uh, here we're told that these gifts are all given with a purpose, with a goal, to build up the body of Christ, to help the body grow, and specifically to grow into maturity in Christ. So Ephesians 4 verse 13. Now, this is to be the case until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ to grow up into him who is the head. Now, while it's true that each of us as individuals with our own relationship with Jesus will grow as we see his grace working in our hearts and our lives, it's also true that the whole body itself will grow as these gifts are exercised, as we each play the part that Jesus has given us working together to promote the growth of the body, building itself up in love. Uh, obviously, in every church, there's a range of maturity from person to person. There are people who are younger and so not as mature yet. There are people who are new to the Christian faith and so working out what that looks like. There are people who actually just have parts of their life where there's still maturity to grow in. And look around the room right now and see who's... No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's fine. You're all somewhere on the spectrum. But there's also, in addition to this individual level maturity, a kind of communal maturity that we walk, uh, work toward together. Uh, bodies basically start to look a little funny when not all the parts grow together, and that's kind of what Paul's getting at here. Now, I have an auntie who's in her mid-60s now, and she has this very strange condition in which she's never lost her baby teeth. Yeah, I'm getting looks now like I did at 10 a.m. as well. People were like, what? Is that a thing? Well, for at least one person in the world, it's a thing. I'm sure there are others too. Yeah, she's never lost her baby teeth. She still has them in her mid-60s. Weird. And it's one of those things where, like, you kind of wouldn't... You might be like, ah, oh, that's a unique face. But you don't know what it is until someone tells you and then you can't unsee it ever again. Those teeth are tiny! 
tiny. They're not the right teeth for that head. What the heck's going on? Weird. Her body has not grown in proportion, all its parts working properly together. And, of course, that has flow-on effects for her life as well. She's got to be super careful about what she eats, how she looks after her teeth, because they're the only ones she's got. Part of her body hasn't grown properly, so the whole thing is kind of out of proportion somehow. Uh, the point is that, the point that Paul's making here in this passage, is that when every part of the body is doing its part properly, we grow together. You can't grow separately from one another in the body. We all grow together, no matter where we are individually on the spectrum. Uh, each of us needs to grow in Christ-likeness, but there's a kind of corporate maturity as well. A community itself can be more or less mature, even as individuals within that community differ in their own personal maturity. Uh, in short, what we're being told really in the way that the body image is used here in Ephesians chapter 4 is that we can't grow unless we grow together. We all have a part to play in the growth of the body. Jesus as the head gives direction and shape to the life of his body through its members, through you and me, and through everyone who's part of our church community. Each of us have our own unique part to play. Uh, we hear a bit more about this in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 12, uh, where he's using this body image again, and here's what he says, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. What you notice about those particular gifts that are listed there in Romans 12 is that the gifts aren't actually primarily about function. They're not about filling functional roles. When he talks about the exhorter, someone who encourages, someone who tries to you know, push people along in their faith to remind them to keep going in Jesus, the exhorter is a description of a kind of person, isn't it? And it's because they are that kind of person that Jesus has made them an exhorter that they get about the business of exhorting. They bring that out in the life of the body of Christ and they become a gift from Jesus to his body. So the gifts we're talking about when we talk about the life of the body aren't about uh, filling gaps in a roster. Uh, some of the gifts might uh, map fairly obviously onto formal roles in church life, teaching, pastoring, for example. But most of these different gifts that we read about in the New Testament can take shape in the life of a community in all kinds of different ways. That's really important because it means that no gift is better or worse than one of the others, right? Whatever it is that God has given you to do to contribute to the life of our community together, that's good. That's from him. That's a good thing about how he's made you to do that work. But it's also important to notice it because it opens up some space for us to see that the way we live those gifts out in the life of our community together might actually take different shapes at different times in our lives. Uh, when I was a uni student, I led youth group on Friday night. I led kids' church on Sunday morning. I was back at church on Sunday afternoon to be part of a kind of cool experimental new congregation that we were, that we were planting. Then went back to church again for the evening congregation on Sunday night so I could be there with the, the kids who I was leading a youth group on Friday. It was awesome. Like, time of my life. I kid you not. It was so much fun. I loved everything about it. And I do not ever want to go back there. Too much. I got married, I got a job, I had kids, and sure, yeah, now I work in a church, but if I didn't work in a church, I'd, I'd be like, you know, I've got my one congregation I go to. That's the way for me to connect in with church life here. Things change, situations change, your life will change in all kinds of ways, and many of you actually are in that phase of life where you're finishing school, heading to uni, finishing uni, heading into the workforce, getting married, all kinds of changes going on in your life that will change the way that the gifts that God has given you are contributed to the life of the body. The point here, though, is that whatever your specific life circumstances, Jesus has made you a gift to his people. You have a contribution to make. 
So the first thing we see about this uh, image of the body of Christ is that to be devoted to one another as the body of Christ means we'll all grow together. We have to all do our part in order to grow as his people. We're devoted, if you like, to the health of the entire organism, just to, not just to our little part of it. And we each have gifts to give as contributions to that growth. But we can press this uh, body image even further, actually. Uh, our growth together, individually and as a community, requires us not only to make our contribution to the whole, but also to be dependent on one another. That's where we're going next, point two, mutual dependence. So we can't grow individually apart from the body, and the body corporately needs each of us individually in order to grow. Now, here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. He writes, We who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of... What do you think he's going to say next? In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, and individually we're members of it, of the church. Here in Romans 12, he says something very different, not very different, but different and very interesting. He says, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we are members of one another. Because we belong to Christ, we belong to his body and we're members not just of his body, but also members of one another somehow. Uh, The word members here uh, isn't the idea of being part of a club. Uh, The relationship being described here is uh, more than the relationship between Andrew and those he plays golf with together. Sorry, I know you love your golf buddies, but... This is more, right? This is deeper. This is something more. Not just members of a club like that. By members, it means body parts. And we used to, in the English language, more often use a member to mean a part of the body. It's still there in some words like dismemberment. Isn't that a great word? Dismemberment. Body parts removed from one another in ways that should not be the case. Dismemberment, the members moved apart from one another. We're members of one another. We're knit together so closely in Christ that it's like Louisa is my left knee. She's been on leave this week, so it's not feeling so good. Louisa's my left knee. Christian is my right ear. Miles is my clavicle. Gab is my diaphragm. Who's your diaphragm? Talk about it after the service. What you see with this uh, metaphor, with this image here, uh, is that being a body together, being members not just of Christ but of one another, means that what we actually need is each other. We need each other. We can't do this without one another. Paul teases this out quite vividly in the passage uh, that Rosie read for us just before from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Let me read a little bit of it for you again uh, from verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honourable, we clothe with greater honour, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members don't need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honour to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another." In short, what Paul is telling us here is that it doesn't matter who you are or what you are by the standards of the world around you, by human standards, by human sight. Christ has made you a gift, a vital element of the community that is forming around himself by his spirit, an essential and irreplaceable member of his body. But that truth, as beautiful and affirming as it is for each of us individually, turns out to be, and this is the point here in 1 Corinthians 12 especially, turns out to be a truth not just about me and how Jesus relates to me and how wonderful he's made me, but also to be a truth about you. 
You can easily turn the reality of being a gift given by Jesus to his people, you see, into an ego trip. Wouldn't that be easy to do, to make it just all about us? C.S. Lewis has this great line in the Screwtape Letters about uh, someone who um, essentially wants to impose her gifts on others, whether they want to receive them or not. Uh, He writes, she's the sort of woman who lives for others. You can always tell the others by their hunted expression. You can make your gifts all about you. But the point of the body of Christ image here is that we all live not for others, but for one another. The point isn't that I'm needed, though you are, though I am, but that we need each other. Uh, If you really get what it means to be part of the body of Christ, then you'll have to acknowledge two different things at the same time. On the one hand, that I am needed, and on the other hand, that I'm needy. I'm needed and I'm needy. And that should change not just how we think about ourselves in relation to church, but also how we think of others. Uh, We should see one another not as targets for kind of deploying our gifts in service. Ah, there's someone who needs my gift right there. I wasn't pointing at anyone in particular, just in case you're wondering. There's someone who needs my gift. I'll go and use it on them. We certainly shouldn't see one another as you know, projects. That's the worst way to see somebody. There's someone who I'm going to go and fix using the gift that God has given me. That's not what this is about. Here we learn that to see the church, you might remember in the first week of our series, we talked about needing by the spirit, the spiritual sight, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, to see what the church really is in the glory and grace of God in Jesus Christ. To see the church like that, we need to do what Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 calls discerning the body. To see the body clearly, to pay attention to the members that make up the body of which Jesus himself has made us a part. You won't see the church for what it really is if you don't see each other person in it as a gift to you. Uh, What might that actually mean in practice? Well, I've got just three suggestions about um, uh, attitudes, if you like, that we need to take into our relationships in in the Christian community. Uh, that will help us to actually live this out. You can see them there on the screen under point two. Vulnerability, expectation, and imagination. Uh, Vulnerability. Uh, If we're both needed and needy, then that means we're going to have to allow other people into our brokenness. We'll allow ourselves to be dependent on one another. This is a super uh, counter-cultural thing, I think, in our part of the world particularly. I think especially somewhere like uh, the inner west of Sydney, where we love to be competent, love to have our lives together. I've got this and that and the other thing which together make a good life and I'm on top of it. We don't like to be dependent on others. In our part of the world, I think it's much harder most of the time to be needed than to be needy. But we need to be vulnerable with each other. We need to allow ourselves to be dependent on one another. Uh, That means that we'll accept offers of help when they're held out to us. Uh, Meals, uh, company, financial assistance, transport, prayer, whatever it might be. And we might even just possibly ask for assistance, even before it's offered to us, to say, I just, I'm, I'm in trouble, I need help, I need something. Big things, little things, whatever it is, I'm needy. And I need you, the church, I need you, the members of my own body, the body of the Lord Jesus. And the thing is that we'll do that more and more, even beyond the boundaries of those who might naturally be our go-to people. Because everyone here in this room has gifts to offer you from the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing we need, vulnerability. Secondly, we need expectation. We should never engage with someone else who's part of our church um, with the thought in the back of our heads, ah, there's, there's nothing here for me in this, nothing here for me from, from this person. I don't really need you. I don't think you've got anything you could... It's kind of going to be a bit of a one-way thing, isn't it? 
That very person who sometimes you have that thought about is someone who God has chosen to be part of this community. And Jesus has given them to you as a gift to serve and to grow his body, including you. Instead, we need to engage each other with the genuine expectation that even if you don't know what it is, they have something that you need. They have something to offer you, to enrich you, to encourage you in, the walk, in your walk in the Lord Jesus, to assist you in your life somehow. And so we need to listen and watch and engage with each other um, with this kind of prayer in our hearts to say, Jesus, what are you holding out to me through this person today? Uh, not just how might I, I serve them, but how might they serve me? What's the gift here from you, Jesus? Uh, vulnerability, expectation. Thirdly, imagination. Uh, it is true uh, that sometimes we can't see what particular gift or contribution another person might be bringing into our life together. It's true sometimes that we can't see that about ourselves either. I'm not really sure what my contribution is here. Uh, more often than not, particularly when we think about other people, that's just straightforwardly because of a lack of spiritual imagination. We just don't have the spiritual sight to see what God has put before us. Uh, so what we need to do is to work on our imagination. Uh, if you don't know what it is that uh, you and we need from someone in our life together, if you're unsure of the particular contribution that Jesus has been shaping them and giving them to us to make, then probably the first thing you need to do is to actually just get to know them a little bit better, to see what makes them tick, to hear the story of how faith gives shape to their life. At the same time, of course, others often see us better than we see ourselves. And so if you see someone else and you think, actually, I wonder if this is a gift that the Lord's given you, you should, you should tell them about it, I reckon. Just say, I think this is a thing that you could contribute to our life together. I don't know if you've thought about that before, but I can see God doing this in you. Perhaps that's your gift to us. We need to have imagination for one another. Vulnerability, expectation, and imagination. Those three elements are what we're going to need if we're going to see the church for what it really is and to discern the body, to see each member in it. Now, you might be thinking at this point, um, if this is true, if this is what our life is going to be like together, then my whole life is going to be church and nothing else. Not quite. Uh, church will be, if you see the body of Christ like this, a deeply significant community for you. But it will never be your only community, not least because the church is a community with a purpose that stretches beyond itself out into the world and even into eternity. More on that next week. Where a church is also a community of purpose in the world. For now, I want to make sure that you don't hear me saying, ditch every other relational network and friendship that you have and focus exclusively on the church. That's not what this is about. But what it does mean is this. If you grasp the reality of church as a body, as the body of Jesus Christ, then this community will be such a significant part of your life that caring for other members of the church will never be an interruption. It will just be obvious. Of course, that's what we do. And at the same time, this community will be such a significant part of your life that when you need care, asking for it from other members of church isn't awkward or weird. It's obvious. Of course that's where I'd go for help. It just makes sense. We're the body of the Lord Jesus together. I'm needed and I'm needy. Uh, one of the ways in which we see this most clearly, I think, is actually in our prayers for one another. Church is very often a source of practical help, and that is exactly as it should be. That's a wonderful thing. We should never be less than that. But, of course, we're more than that as well, because the one category of need that only the church can offer is the spiritual help that we need to continue faithfully following Jesus. And so prayer is going to be central to our life together. 
Oh, we've seen that, I think, uh, even just recently. It's as we've uh, prayed, particularly for Claire's niece as she's battled cancer in the last little while, and for those in our life who uh, battle with uh, chronic and mental health conditions in various ways. It's in those moments of praying for those who are in need in our life together that we see the mutual dependence of the church. And as we've prayed together for these sisters and brothers of ours in recent months, I mean, it seems to me it really has begun to draw us closer to one another in various ways. We've seen more clearly how it is that we need each other. Praying for one another often, I think, is the way that we're going to learn that sense of expectation and imagination for one another. As we remember one another in prayer, bring each other before the Lord, he does his work in our hearts, giving us the spiritual sight to see each other as the gifts that he's made us to be to one another. And prayer, I think, is how we're going to learn increasing vulnerability too, as we ask each other to remember our own neediness before the Lord. In fact, I want to encourage us particularly to grow in this way, in vulnerability, in praying for each other and allowing ourselves to be prayed for. So I want to draw your attention actually to something that's new in our service sheet tonight. If you open up your service sheet, on the inside back cover, you'll see a new QR code. There's another one. Hallelujah. QR codes multiplying everywhere. Uh, that QR code, uh, as you'll see uh, in there, will uh, take you to a form on our website where you can submit prayer requests. Uh, you pray with each other in your fellowship groups each week, I know, and many of you will pray together tonight as well after our service about various things going on for you. Uh, but it's good to be prayed for and be praying for people beyond just our fellowship groups in the, the body more widely as well, to lift one another up in prayer in those ways. So if you scan that code and go to that form, it's going to be in the service sheet every week going forward or put it in our Facebook group as well. If you go to that form, you can let us know what you need prayer for and you can tell us whether you want just the pastoral staff to know that or the prayer team, which for the time being until we get more people on our prayer team is just going to be our fellowship group leaders. They don't know this yet, but they are. You can go to the, the, the pastoral staff, you can go to the prayer team, um, or you can let us know there as well if he wants to pray for you here on Sundays in our Sunday gatherings. Uh, we have open prayer requests uh, in our service from time to time. This is kind of like prayer request session that's always open. How good. Check it out. Um, and I'd love to, to see people submit things even tonight, actually, that we can pray for together for our loved members in our body. Allow yourself in this way to depend on one another. Allow us to be the gifts that Jesus has made us to be to you. Uh, you can even, if you want to, you can even get your phone out and do it right now. I promise not to tell anyone that you're on your phone in church. You can even do something right now if you think there's just something that actually I would like to ask prayer for. You can do it right now. Uh, we are, each one of us, needed. And we are, each one of us, needy. We are a body, and that means that we grow together and we depend on each other. And we see that perhaps most clearly in prayer and especially in our vulnerability. And that leads us uh, really into our third, final and uh, much shorter, I promise you, point. Uh, finally, we're a community who also feels together, a community of mutual passions. Octopuses. Bet you didn't think that's where we were going to go next. Uh, octopuses are these weird otherworldly creatures. There are some people who actually genuinely wonder, some scientists who genuinely wonder, if octopuses and other cephalopods arrived here on a meteor at some point in the ancient world. They are so different to everything else on our planet in terms of their DNA and their biology. Weird. If there's one thing you know about octopuses is they have eight legs or arms. It's hard to tell whether they're legs or arms. Really, we're going to call them arms going forward. What you might not know about octopuses is that they essentially have nine brains. This is an ongoing debate amongst uh, biologists, uh, marine biologists, whether or not an octopus has one brain or nine brains. Nine brains. My one's not working very well. 
Uh, the reason for that is that about two-thirds of an octopus's brain cells are actually located in their arms. Basically, each arm has its own brain, so that each of the eight arms can actually work pretty much independently of the others. Uh, if you lop off the arm of an octopus, it will survive just fine on its own for a time. It'll find itself food. It'll find itself shelter. It won't be able to eat the food, and it will bleed to death eventually. So, like, it's not all, it's not all roses, right? But the point is, that arm doesn't care. It can just get about doing its own thing, and the other seven arms will just get on with doing whatever octopus arms do. No questions asked. Humans are not like octopuses. And the body of Christ is not like the body of an octopus. Our bits can't operate independently of one another. Uh, when you kick your toe on something, you know that your whole body all of a sudden focuses in on that pain. It probably hasn't done any real damage, but boy, are you aware of it. Not just in your toe, but in your whole body. Your focus goes there. Or a nicer version of it, right? When you slide your feet into your Ugg boots on a cold morning, all of a sudden your whole body feels warmer. Not just your feet. You feel it through your whole body. We feel what each bit of our body feels with our whole bodies, and it's the same in the body of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26 from our reading before. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together with it. Because we are one body together, we suffer together, and we rejoice together. If one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member rejoices, we all rejoice. Now, when you start to think about it for any length of time, that's really hard, actually. Particularly, it can be really, really hard because we so love to compare ourselves to others and we so often have a vision in our head of what we want our life to be and how we want it to turn out that when we see someone else's joy in something that they have that we don't have, actually what it makes us is not joyful at all, actually. It's a form of suffering to us. One person's joy can highlight our own sense of loss, even creating feelings of bitterness in us. At the same time, especially in a culture like ours, we're really, really very good at avoiding suffering, aren't we? It makes us so uncomfortable, so aware of our own vulnerability and fragility that we hide suffering away. We, we put it in hospitals. We don't, we don't want to see people when they're at that level of pain and suffering. We tend to turn ourselves away from suffering rather than turning toward it. But you can't just ignore pain in one part of your body, of course. I did that once uh, with a sore tooth. I left it just for a, three years or so before I did anything about it. And it needed to be pulled out, and so did two others, and there were fillings to do, and it was the whole thing. It turns out that actually avoiding pain usually makes the pain worse in the end. And it turns out that as members of one body, we are to share each other's pain, to feel it together, and indeed actually to make it more bearable together as we comfort one another, as we share the load together. Likewise, we'll share one another's joy as though it was our own. I'm so excited that that's happened for you. It might not be happening for me. That doesn't matter. It's happening for you. You're a part of my body. I love that. Our body feels all these things together in its entirety. That's, I think, a spiritual reality. Actually, it's not something... I don't have a list of things to say, here's what you need to do in order to have mutual passions, to feel these things together. It's just a spiritual reality, actually. It's something you can't really learn. It just happens to you as the Spirit binds us together in love, as he deepens our love for one another as members together devoted to the Lord Jesus and so devoted to one another. It's one of those you know it when you feel it things. It's one of those when that happens, you go, yes, that's the church. I see the church. There it is. 
And often I think we really do feel it most strongly in the middle of great suffering. As a community of mutual devotion growing together in dependence on one another, feeling together, we actually welcome that reality. Why would you welcome that? When you think about it, being a part of a body like this actually increases the opportunity for you to suffer. Because the more members who we share our passions with, who we feel together with, the more pain we take on, as well as more joys, of course, but the more pains too. Why would we welcome the mutual passions of this body? Well, of course, it's because this is not just anybody, is it? It's the body of Christ. The one who identifies himself with us as his own body. And we identify ourselves with him. We're devoted to him and so to each other because he has devoted himself to us. We're a community of mutual passion because we share together in his passion. The passion by which he shows his own devotion to us, giving himself for us, his own body and blood, sharing in our suffering so that we might share in his joy. It's that passion that animates our passion for one another, our feeling together. It's our dependence on him that makes us able to depend on one another. It's his devotion to us that makes it possible for us to be devoted to one another. It's his body given for us that makes us one body together. That's what it all comes down to. We are a community of mutual devotion because of the Lord who's devoted himself to us. Let's pray that he will continue to drive that into our hearts that we might so be devoted to each other. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, you are so good to us in making us um, not just individually little kind of outposts of your grace and glory and kingdom, but bringing us into a family together, into a body, where we each have gifts to give, where you turn us into something that more than we would otherwise be, making us a gift to your people, and where you give us gifts to receive from one another, to depend on one another, to feel together, to walk through life in all its ups and downs with one another, because together we're devoted to the Lord Jesus. Father, we know this is only because of what the Lord Jesus himself has done for us. He has called us his body. He has identified himself with us so that we, sharing in his passion on the cross, might know his risen life. So that as he bears our burdens and sufferings, we might know his joy. Father, fill us with that joy and use us together to point one another again and again to that joy in all the parts of our lives so that together we might show that kind of devotion that he's shown to us to one another so the world might see your grace and glory through us, so that we who are indeed needed might also have our needs met, even our desires fulfilled, as we fix together our eyes on Jesus. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the depth of your love for us in him, and ask that that love by your spirit might so shape our hearts in our life together that we display that love to all the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.